Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hey, it's Tim Seeley, writer and creator of many comics, two names, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social medias. Usual and predictable. Go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like on there, a follow, or what have you. Go on Instagram and Twitter at The Marvelists. Give us a follow on there as well. No liking on there. It's Well, you can like images and you can like a tweet, but I digress. Also, you can find us individually on social media. Myself on Facebook at facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster. On Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick. And much like the singer Reckless Eric said, in the whole wide world, there's only one place you can find Eddie Wilson on social media, and that is on Instagram at... Somewhere over the rainbow. No, Eddie9193. Oh, don't get your little ruby red slippers up in a tassel. I don't even know where I'm going with that. That, that joke sucked, Peter. Eh, 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 taste it. Get it? Skittles. Delicious. Fruity. Delicious. Fruity. 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 By God, they're delicious Skittles. <laughs> anyway. For no reason, a Jim Ross reference just came out of here. But, again, I digress. Now, Eddie, on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are joined alongside with Tim Seeley. Tim Good evening. Hey, thanks for having me. Any excuse to say it that way, Tim? So, so sorry. I wear a cape as I say it. I, I, I understand completely. <laughs> I'm sorry again, then. <laughs> now, Tim, you've had a long comic career. You've been through all of the major companies. You've done so much stuff. Let's get to the very beginning of it all. How did you get your start in the realm of comics? And what was your start as a fan? Uh, let's see. I mean, as a fan, I, when I was uh, like five or six years old, my uh, uh, I got well, I got a Master Universe figure for for my birthday. I think on my fifth birthday, and it came with a little mini comic, and I was just obsessed with it. Um, and I think I read it until it well had my mom read it to me until it fell apart. And then uh, my parents kind of noticed that I, that was helping me read, so they started buying me comics. My dad had been a Marvel reader as a kid, um, and he even sort of still kept up with like Vampirella and Conan and stuff. So um, they were totally, you know, aware of comics. So they would buy them for me, like when I was, uh, when they were going to get the gas station and stuff. So I think my first actual sort of um, non-packed in a toy comic was an issue of Amazing Spider-Man. I believe it was uh, issue 230, uh, uh, somewhere in there. And then uh, uh, I was, you know, super into that stuff. All those, all the Marvel books, and I got really into it when I was about eight or nine, and you know, collected comics. But I started making comics almost as quickly, you know, immediately upon when I started reading them. I was, I was you know, doing my own versions, of course. And then uh, I got um, a degree in illustration from uh, from my college, and then I uh, started doing work at a children's book company, and I was doing that during the day. At night, I would draw both comics for uh, Avatar Press. 
And then that sort of transitioned to being uh, somehow I got hired at Double Two to be an editor, and I started working there full time. I moved down to Chicago and uh, became a uh, editor, and I, then I started drawing the books that we had that I was editing because it was just easier that way. So that's basically how I ended up doing this full time. I have to make a quick little footnote here and, and give credit where it's due. I think, Tim, you may be the first to tell us when you got your comic start into it, the comics from a gas station. And I'm like, yes, I don't think we've heard that before. That's cool. I mean, you know, I mean, I live, I live in a pretty small-ish town, so uh, the only places, we didn't have a comic store when I was a kid, certainly, but we had, like, an IGA, you know, an International Grocery Association. Yeah. And it was a small little store. It had a butcher shop in the back, and it had a comics rack in the front, and then my mom would just drop us there, and she would shop at IGA, and they had, like, mounted jackalopes all along the wall. I mean, that's that's the way I distinctly remember it. I would sit down and read Spider-Man, Silver Surfer, and Fantastic Four, uh, and then she would let me pick a couple. So, yeah, it was Gas Station or Iga. Iga, that's good. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool to be able to see that, you know, we all have that start with comics where it's like the most random of places. You know, you have to be of like a certain age where you can say, you know, you didn't get them from a comic shop for your start. You know, mine was supermarkets. Eddie, what was yours? Uh, mine was a convenience store, so it, and the spinner rack was there, or a couple of them, actually, yeah. And it's always funny to see that, because like mine was a trading post, and actually fairly recently, they started selling comic books again, like just random old issues from like the 1990s, which, again, to say that, by the way, old and 90s in the same sense. Uh, <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a fact. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah, don't don't remind me. But I, I am so way older than you. Tim might be in between us, but anyway. I just think it's really funny to see, you know, like that place, for example, they were just like putting old like uh X Men books up again. And it's, you know, the place that got me back it that got me in comics in general now has old books again. You're saying you're seeing these old ones from the nineties. Now, have you looked at them? Are they originals or reprints? They're originals. So I'm so now I gotta think well, where'd they come from? Did they keep them in the back room and never put them out until now? You know, they had such a high print run. Like, they're everywhere. They're, they're just ubiquitous, right? Like, so okay. they're, they're still pulling those things out. See, there's another gets, revelation to me I didn't know about. All right. What, that there was a high print run in the 90s? No, that they were putting these out again from then, and they were, like, hoarded away somewhere or just forgotten in the shadows and dark closets or, ooh, scary. I, I, don't I, know. Mean, I mean, they probably were because, like, they the ones that in this shop that they have, they were, uh, like, a random issue of the X-Men, and then there was a crap ton of the uh, Malibu Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and it was specifically issue number nine. And then uh, Stone Protectors from Harvey Comics. And it just made me laugh because, like, these are books that used to always be there. I think they were just, yeah, again, hidden away in the back of the uh, the building. And they're like, what's this? Oh, the nerds like the comics. We'll sell these. So these are the ones that didn't, uh, that escaped the polybagging of two for a dollar at that those stores now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned, by the way, Tim, that your first comic was Spider-Man 230. And... There's something about the character of Spider-Man that connects with all of us. What was the thing about Spidey that got you hooked into the character? Um, I mean, you know, Spider-Man is a perfect entry point superhero, and I think that's, that's still true. That was true when Stan made him up in the 60s. That was true when I was a kid in the 80s. Um, but he just, you know, he looks cool. Uh, he's bright colored. He, And then you read it, and it's always about, you know, this very relatable thing of, you know, someone who kind of feels like they're, you know, 
life is working against them, and then they get into but they still do the right thing. And I think that, you know, kids totally understand that. Um, you know, he wasn't a teenager when I was reading that. I think he was working at the Daily Bugle, and he was a photographer and stuff, so it wasn't like it was the fact that he was a young guy or whatever that, that got me, but certainly just like that eternal appeal of, of Spider-Man, which, you know, I, I watch it happen all the time now, too. You know, you go to a convention, little kids see Spider-Man, and they just, he's, he's magic. He's, you know, probably the uh, most appealing overall superhero design besides, or, and creation besides Batman, I would say. I was going to say, Tim, um, the way you came into it, and you said it, so maybe I need a reiteration of you being drawn, as in gravitated, magnetized, towards the, the writing versus the, the, the drawing, the artist work. Uh, what came to you first, or you decided you want to do the whole thing, and I'm not sure nowadays if there's more of a proliferance of, of people who can do and want to do both as opposed to just one aspect. Um, I mean, as a kid, I didn't know they were different jobs. I didn't really, you know, I just knew making comics was a job. I didn't really understand. Obviously, I didn't know what an inker was until I was in my late teens, you know. Um, so I think part of it was just I always did everything myself. And what appealed to me was the medium, I think, more so than, you know, one specific act of, of creation, which I think is still true. Like, I don't really draw uh, unless it's comics. It's not really, you know, it's, I don't sit and draw just for fun, I think my brain isn't really wired that way. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what, you know, what specifically um, made me want to do one or the other. But I knew that drawing was something I could see on the page. So I think it, it seemed more like something I could learn to do, whereas writing, you know, I didn't really understand what that was, I guess. So for you, it's, it's equal parts. You say, well, I got to make it look like this. I want to make sure the character says this. Or maybe at some point in your early uh, childhood years, you said, you know what, I didn't like the way that that guy wrote that or said that or drew that. I'm going to do something different. All the above. I don't know. I mean, and the other weird thing was I was a kid, too, is I never, I'm not sure why, but I never did comics of, like, I mean, I read Spider-Man, also, but I never did Spider-Man books. I was always instantly making up my own stuff. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I think at some point maybe someone said, like, you know, oh, those characters are owned by... Marvel Comics or something, or I asked what the little C was, and they said, you know, it means it's copyright Marvel, and they own it. And I was like, oh, I have to make up my own stuff then. <laughs> but for, for whatever reason, when I was drawing my own comics when I was like six, seven years old, they were always my own characters. Uh, and, you know, obviously they were all knockoffs of everything else. But um, and I think that's why so much of when I was 13, 14, you know, I think I guess 12, I guess, when Image came out, and the idea that these people were making up their own characters really appealed to me, because that's how I'd always approached it, you know, when I was ma making comics alongside the ones I was reading. So you're saying that if you did a knockoff of Spider-Man, what would you call it, the guy with eight legs or something? Well, my knockoff of Spider-Man was called, he was kind of a combination of Spider-Man, uh, Iron Man, and Mr. Fantastic, and he was called the Gripper, because uh, he could stretch, but he was sort of like, he swung around, but he used his arms to do it, sort of like, so he was this weird combination, I guess, and he had like an Iron Man sort of helmet, so... Um, so I would call him the Gripper, uh, as I did when I was a kid, and there was tons of stories about him and his, uh, he's kind of a little bit snake eyes, I guess, too, because all that stuff was in our house at the same time, so. Uh, I think you know, in the right and, setting that, that that Gripper is a hit. I'm telling you what. Yeah, well, I did him as a comic at Dark Horse. I did, I, had, I called it Jack Kraken because the name Gripper is stupid, and uh, so, but that <laughs> exists. I, I did do a comic with my childhood character, 
But I thought in the movies, that's somebody's living. That's their, that's their livelihood, a grip. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, it just sounds too much like a masturbation joke, so I, <laughs> I, uh, I had to change the name. And Grabber doesn't sound good either, so okay. Yeah, Grabber's no good either. <laughs> now, one thing, by the way, with Spider-Man, what you can actually do is if you remove the hyphen, you end up having Spider-Man, but it's your own original creation. I mean, it works for Chip Zdarsky, so just throwing that out there. There is a grabber, though. It's it's a very well-marketed piece that if you can't reach something, it, it has, you know, suction cups or something like that if, if it's your arms are too too short. Oh, Eddie, Eddie, exactly. Eddie. It's true. Yeah, I didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, copyright. Now, in addition, you know, as you're starting out, you're also being exposed to a lot of different comics, you know, the different things that end up in turn affecting your writing style and even art style. What were some of the ones that helped you, you know, kind of like Star Trek, the Borg, you assimilate, you borrow elements and you're like, okay, do this, do this. And then you end up making your own thing. What were those sources of influence? I mean, uh, everything probably, but I I definitely noticed a sort of, I don't know, a change in my approach to stuff when I was like, I think when I was nine or 10, um, somewhere in there, the J.M.D. Mateus run came out and that was that summer where, um, the death of Craven came out and like, I found it really unsettling and creeped me out and gave me bad dreams, but I loved it. Um, and I think cause it was kind of a, it was Spider-Man in a horror comic. And, uh, and I don't know, it was something about that. Just like, you know, kind of galvanized. I'd always kind of like been curious about horror stuff. And my dad was a big horror fan. So, you know, that stuff was always around and monster stuff, but like just that it was kind of, there's this really frenetic pace to it. And it was really creepy and, um, and I think that kind of was a big enough influence that uh, by the time I started working in comics, the first stuff I wrote was either humor or horror, which is always kind of my two favorite uh, genres, and I stick them together all the time. Um, so I think, yeah, that was a big one. And then uh, when I was 11, which was way too young to, to have gotten it, but um, I, went, I was at wasn't it 11 or 12. I was at San, uh, Chicago Comic Con, and... Someone sold me a co- uh, issue of Watchmen. I think it was issue two or three um, for a dollar. And I just picked it out of you know a bunch of other books, whatever. But I read that one, and uh, again, like something about you know it treated it treated the subject matter you know very seriously, but it also messed around with format, which I thought was so interesting that you know it was about multiple things at the same time, which uh, you know obviously you know, going back as reading as an adult, I'm even seeing so much more that it was about. But at the time, I was just, like, fascinated that it could do something that I, I didn't think a movie or a novel could do, that there was all these layers and, and that the shapes were referenced and, uh, you know, all these patterns were referenced and all these things, you know, all kind of combined to make this texture that I, I think had a big influence. I mean, obviously, the whole uh, comic industry, um, and I think in some ways in a negative way, but in, in other ways, the way that it's you know, so much uh, about comics as much as it is about, you know, the era that it's written about uh, was really compelling to me. Tim, how about uh, tell us a little bit about Shatterstar, how that came about for you? Uh, so I had a two-year exclusive at DC, and it's John Nightwing and Grayson and a bunch of other stuff there, and Batman. Um, and so my exclusive was, was running out, and so I called up my friend Jordan White, who is editor at Marvel, and he had gone from working on Spider-Man stuff to... Um, and Deadpool to doing the X-Men stuff. So I just asked him if he had anything, and he said he would take a look. And he called me back not too long later and just said, hey, what would you do with Shatterstar? We think, you know, we like the idea that 
with Nightwing that I had made him kind of sexy and, uh, you know, kind of like appealing to other audiences, I guess. And it had me pitch an idea, and I, I had grown up with that character, and he's, you know, obviously uh, the, the cool sword-swinging mystery man, which uh, totally worked for me at, at that age. And then um, so I just kind of tried to think of something that would make him a little bit more relevant to, you know, 2019 or 2018 or whatever it was I did in 2018, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, now, I wasn't sure if that was the first time or maybe there was a previous version of Shatterstar where he got his own title, and if you know anything about how it was decided, well, you know what, He maybe let's try giving him his own title kind of thing. Oh, I mean, I definitely know how that happened. Okay. It was <laughs> that, that Marvel found out he was going to be in Deadpool 2, um, and so they were like, oh, let's try it out. The way this stuff works is they didn't know what happened to him in Deadpool <laughs> 2. They had no idea. They just knew he was in it, and they had seen design. Mm. So they kind of planned to do some launches to coincide with the movie. And, of course, you know, in the movie, he gets totally punched, punked right away. Like, he didn't last at all. So that didn't help me at all. When I went to the movie, I was like, oh, shit. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but they were – and Marvel didn't know either. They, didn't, they hadn't seen the movie before it came out. Um, so, which, you know – crazy but that's how things work between giant mega corporations and uh but you know I, I just try to treat him like relevant and serious and also kind of tie him to the rest of the marvel universe in a way that made sense um you know playing it with the idea that he was this sort of trans-dimensional time hopper he's a he's a completely overly complex character and i just felt like let's just boil it down and make him he's time traveling to gladiator detective and that's cool <laughs> and just you know kind of meld it with the rest of the marvel U. and you know this isn't the first time that you had done a character that was the uh byproduct of a certain mr uh liefeld but you know you did work on the character of deadpool as well and it's kind of funny that you know again i keep bringing it back to the character but spider-man you know the quick quips and everything and Again, you're working on a character such as Deadpool, who's notorious for his quippiness. And I would also say it kind of goes hand in hand with your Nightwing as well, because the character can be very quippy. You know, I'm not really sure of a question of how I could ask this, but how do you funny? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just way more natural for me to write Deadpool or Harley Quinn or somebody who's like chaotic and funny than it is for me to write someone serious. Like, I like... I love writing Batman stuff, but it's a lot harder for me uh, because, you know, to me, like a funny character, I could write Deadpool all day. It is the easiest character for me to write with with no, I mean, by, bar none, he's the easiest character for me to write um, because I can just, he just can be random and fill space and he's super active. So he makes the, he makes stories happen to him, which makes him, you know, easier to write that way too, instead of responding to things. Um, right. But so I'm sure, you know, my sort of uh, platonic ideal of a superhero does come from those early Spider-Man books. So, like, you know, I remember in the first issue of Spider-Man I read, it was like uh, Spider-Man was making jokes and a guy came after him with a crowbar and he bent it to a bow and gave it back to the guy. So, like, I loved that stuff. So I'm sure that that was a huge influence. And then, you know, when I was a kid, the other comics I always read was like Cracked and Mad, too. So for me, I don't know. Like I can't, I, maybe I just can't take anything seriously, I, which may be a problem. But uh, 
that's that's a huge part of it too. Is just to me, life is ridiculous, and uh, I can't help but put that into every story I tell. I'll put you on the spot for this because you just mentioned cracked and mad. If you had to pick one, which is the one you go with? Oh, I mean, Mad is obviously the better magazine at the time. I, I liked Cracked uh, because it like it didn't have as much format. You know, it was it was more they tried stuff. Whereas Mad had a pretty, you know, it had been doing what Mad does for so long. That said, the Cracked website that was around in the mid two thousands was awesome, uh, and so I think Cracked turned into something I was super into. Um, but I, I loved both those magazines. And I had my own humor comic called Very, Very Stupid Comics, which was a ripoff of both uh, and had, like, different rotating features and stuff. And it's funny, Eddie? too, because, well, just expanding on that, I was just recently uh, acquired a couple, and I don't remember how long the early 70s comic, Marvel comic title, you know, Spoof, went. And then there was um, either What The or Arg, and I guess that's oh, yeah. all in the same generalization, uh, correct? Yeah, I love those, too. I mean, I had, I was an emphatic collector of what the, and then uh, I went back, and I think, what the other one was called, um, yeah, Foomers? I can, no, that was a fan magazine. Yes. I can't remember what the other one was called. That was a Friends of Old Marvel. But there was, yeah, there was another one that, that had been, you know, had come out, and I was, I, I, I loved that stuff. And I, I kind of always thought that would be the kind of stuff I would do, and I've never done, <laughs> like, a funny, goofy Marvel comic. So I just must come under under satire and perhaps that had to go the, the larger comic magazine format to get into more of that stuff that was a somewhat adult, but still very much tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, right, exactly. And more of a newsstand thing. Yeah, they, yeah exactly, right. And maybe, because um, I don't recall having much uh, of Mad or any of the magazines like that, but I think that was mostly, what, black and white, so maybe it was cheaper to produce also? Yeah, I think so, especially for that size. And they knew they were probably going to pulp a lot of them, you know, because the, they were returnable because they were on the newsstand. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was a big part of it. And I think Spider-Man's probably the one character we can say not only quippy, but Peter knows, thwippy, right? Yes. He's a thief. <laughs> I enjoy it. See? He's a criminal. See, I like the funny stuff. You got to be prosecuted, a vigilante. Uh... I want Spider-Man! God. Now, by the way, with... Uh... Titles like Arg and Spoof and Cracked and Mad. Do you think in the Howard the Duck universe they have one called Arg? See, I deserve a groan at least once for that one. <laughs> I'm enjoying all these. Good. We appreciate it. <laughs> and, you know, you're mentioning that you do titles such as Shatterstar, and every time I talk to somebody who does anything with an X-related title... How do you deal with the continuity? Because Marvel continuity is its own thing, but then you look on the other side and X-Men continuity, even more so its own thing. And I imagine, you know, whenever you do something with an X-related title, you get some strongly worded tweets from very, very passionate uh, X-Fans. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing with Shadowstar is he doesn't have that, he didn't have like a rabid fan base, but... He had a few um, who were super into it, but I think there was no expectation that I make any of that shit make sense because, you know, <laughs> he's his own grandfather. He's like, you know, there's all this crazy stuff that. Can you rewind that real quick? You what? Did, did you say he's his own grandfather? Yeah. yeah I didn't make. Elaborate. Sure. That was, oh Peter David wrote that story. 
Uh, that is totally true. That is incontinuity. Um, he's his own grandfather. Uh, very confusing. But it worked totally in context of that story. And it was a sure. genius fix for, like, a very complex character's continuity. But by the time I was writing it, I was like, I'm not going to deal with any of that shit. It's just too, com- it's too <laughs> confusing. It's not necessary. And so if there's one thing I sort of learned about, you know, DC characters that I think you could, I'd transform to Marvel was just distill them to the core and use the parts that, um, you know, elevate it and don't get dragged down by the parts that are too hard to, to deal with. Like, I care about continuity, sort of, but I also just care about making a story that stands on its own. Um, and, you know, just, I think sometimes when I was working at DC, and one of the things that would drag me down is I would try to tie my book into the other DC books, and I was like, yeah, but they didn't try to do it for me, so why do I bother? So I just stopped mm, Yeah. It, you know? <laughs> that would be disgusting. hell. Continuity, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of funny because... I believe when you were working on Shatterstar, were you also still doing at the same time stuff for DC? I mean, I'm always still doing stuff for DC. I'm still doing stuff for DC. Um, and that's two years after my exclusive was over. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, that's a company that I have a pretty good um, relationship with, and I'm very familiar with their characters. I think it was hard for me to do a monthly, especially I did it at a time where they were, the books were coming out twice a month, and it wasn't even monthly, it was bi-monthly. Uh, so it was just really hard and not something I easily could do, I think, um, given that sort of, you know, pace and the amount of content we had to, to tie it all to. So, you know, I've stuck around with it and I still, you know, I, I do Batman stuff because I'm pretty familiar with that universe and um, I do the Master Universe books for DC and I still love that stuff. But I don't think I'm, you know, it's just clear to me, like, I'm not the guy to do, like, the Jeff Johns kind of thing where he redefines a 60, 70 year old superhero. Like I, I can do a good story about Dick Grayson, but I, I don't know if I can, you know, read every Green Lantern book ever and come up with a new, I, I just, it's not me. So, so I just, you know, I do these kind of short, usually kind of self-contained stories and I'm pretty happy with that. And, you know, as someone who has done work on Batman, and you know you're talking as someone also who's done who's done stuff with Marvel. One of the biggest things a lot of fans will go on about is you know very uneducated fans for this that a certain character in the Marvel mythos is Marvel's Batman and is again someone who's written Batman and has written work for Marvel. I would like you maybe to explain to the audience and certain people why Moon Knight is not Marvel's Batman. <laughs> Ah. Oh man! Well, I mean, you know, Moon Knight is is it comes out of the brain of a guy who is totally doing this sort of like conspiracy obsessed sort of UFO, uh, ancient god craziness. I think I mean it's just such a different approach. Like that character is so, it's it's so that character is so Marvel. Whereas I can't imagine a Moon Knight sort of being created by you know. 50s, 60s DC, like it's totally a 70s, 80s Marvel idea. But I mean, you know, Marvel has tons of sort of versions of Batman, but obviously it just kind of comes down to their approach, which is, you know, they have more heroes of feats of clay and Marvel characters work best when they're Spider-Man or something like that. And which is why, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Night, uh, Nighthawk does not have uh, 
a, a series that has been going on for 700 issues. You know, it's just like it's not. It doesn't sort of work for the DNA of the of what people like out of Marvel stuff. So there you have it, Patricio. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will call him out for that. <laughs> Did okay. Uh, Tim, I was going to ask, given uh, if not complete but free reign of what you would like to do with a character or a story, is there something that uh, you would want to go ahead and put out that would be you know uniquely your own? Something that uh, if only I could do. Uh, I mean, if I could do one at Marvel, I would. I would love to do. Well, I mean, I, I go back and forth on this because there's characters that I really like in Marvel, but I am now sort of old enough and smart enough to know that no matter what you do with those characters, people just don't care. Mm. So, like, I love Tigra. I love the horror characters, you know. But for whatever reason, no one ever makes them stick. They just they can be in a team or whatever they can. But people don't. I don't know. People just don't care about those characters, even though I think they're cool as hell. Um, so I would do Deadpool. That's what I would, you know, do an ongoing Deadpool series because people like Deadpool and he sells. And also I would try to just bring it back to sort of a more basic thing. Like he's, you know, I think the idea that he just, he's tragic is he's funny and tragic is the most interesting thing about him. So I think that dichotomy, he has to also have like, you know, he can't just be Bugs Bunny. He's also like a totally broken devastated human being who covers up a lot of terrible shit with with a joke right but when he jokes he's great at it so i would definitely want to do something i mean the sort of you know merc in the marvel universe who you know who's so uh is basically kind of a two-faced character that i could go i could go with that for a long time and your uh your thanos deadpool run was actually going concurrently with the very definition of one of the most, you know, it was, it, it's the, uh, what's it called? The Motley Crue cover with the uh, happy face and the sad face. I'll go with that, Theater of Pain. But the Jerry Dugan run, <laughs> like, that is the very definition, you know, especially the uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly arc involving Deadpool's family. It just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think when it, I mean, the stuff that never works is, with him is just, you know, like when there's no consequences to what he does, because he, the whole thing has got to be that everything hurts. You know, that's that's what's interesting about him is, you know, he he can't be killed, sure, but everything sucks. When you know, it's like he he has what you want, and his version of immortality is being riddled with cancer, and that's that's interesting. Tim, what, uh, going back to your character that you said the horror character of that feline, Tigra, Tigra, if you I don't know. And I think that's how her character came about or evolved from what Hellcat um, by, I think I remember seeing in the Marvel Chillers title also yeah, from the 70s. Yeah, Chillers, yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's how come she comes under the horror genre, perhaps. But where would you go with uh, any ideas for, for that? Put her up against Black Cat, maybe? There's a cat fight. I don't know. I, I, I have right. a pitch for her, but basically my, my take on it is, you know, in her original idea, she was like a detective. She's a cop. So, um, and her husband had been killed sort of in line of duty, which I think you could really make a compelling thing where she's a cop and she sees sort of what's broken about policing in America. And, and so, you know, but I, so during the day she, she falls in line and she does her job and she doesn't complain and she sees shit. But then at night as Tigra, she goes and has to deal with all this sort of, um, dirty cop stuff. Like, I think that would be 
you know, and it, you could play with the idea of sort of the the, the beat letting this beast out, and this, and this, you know, she's this she's a tiger who, and, and she's an animal, so she has like more compassion, and sort of a different view uh, from the outside of these things that humans do, and I don't know, it could be pretty cool. I, I think it, it's definitely a horror idea. I think you know, it's kind of like a sexy monster version of Dexter. That's what I would do with it. Oh, okay. So really, then, were you not really that? Um happy with her portrayal as, you know, an Avenger? No, I love her in Avengers. Man, I know. I, she was an Avenger when I was a kid. That's, I, that's where I found her. I mean, she was in West Coast Avengers. And stuff. Mm. I mean, that, that's the cool thing about Marvel was always the idea that you could take someone. I mean, how much fun was it when you were a kid when they would bring in these characters from different genres and stick them, you know, uh, and her story in West Coast Avengers, if I can recall, from when I was a kid, was basically this sort of, she was devolving into... Uh, a monster like yeah, that's that's great that's a little horror story in the midst of a cosmic superhero punch him up you know I, I love that about the marvel stuff i think that's the the success of, of the current you know cinematic stuff is that they're doing shit that no one does which is nothing is grounded and nothing is realistic everything is ridiculous and you combine space guys with gods and and war guys and <laughs> armor guys and people who didn't grow up on comics are like holy shit this is crazy and that's why it works gotcha let me just back up a second to Peter to to let nobody think that I missed the reference of Motley Crue Theater of Pain album cover, oh, 1985. <laughs> Not only with the Home Sweet Home single, but the cover version of Brownsville Station's "Smoking in the Boys' Room." There I go. I hate the original song. Just an FYI. Oh, stop it! It's a terrible song. <sighs> How you doing out there? Yeah. Now, Tim, one other thing about your work at Marvel NDC is. It's interesting that at DC, the Distinguished Competition, you're known for doing a lot of work with the Batman universe street vigilante types. Whereas on the flip side, over at Marvel, you don't really do the uh, the street vigilantes, but rather work pertaining to the X-Men universe, and you know who are not street vigilantes themselves. That's one thing about your writing that I really enjoy, where when you're at one company, you're not sticking with a certain style. You're mixing it up. You're doing different stuff. And it kind of reminds me of uh, Brian Michael Bendis over at DC now. Marvel, Daredevil, Spider-Man, Street Vigilantes, The Defenders, etc. And now he's doing stuff like Superman. He's doing... Uh, other titles that I don't read. But he's do, you know doing all these different things. And it's kind of interesting to see someone mix things up like that. Why do you, for yourself, why do you think that is the case? I mean, I, I, well, I have two thoughts on this. One is that I love a bunch of different things, and I'm usually more drawn to characters than genre just in general, even though, like, I think probably at my heart, I'm probably more of a horror guy than anything. You know, if I have an idea for a character, like, I'll just do the genre and I won't um, sort of pigeonhole myself. On the other hand, I think it's somewhat more beneficial to pigeonhole yourself. So I think, you know, I, there, there's probably more value in being like Ed Brubaker and saying, I'm the crime guy, and I do the crime stuff, and, and that's, you know, his approach to everything is kind of from that, that vantage point. Um, and it seems sometimes to me I think readers don't necessarily, because I don't, I don't know that readers are as much as interested in a wide variety of stuff as maybe me or Brian Bendis. Um, you know, like, I think readers tend to be like, well, I like the crime stuff and the street vigilante stuff, and I don't care 
if I like this writer on Daredevil, I'm not following them to fucking Superman. I don't know if that's true, but it seems that way to me. Um, and I think, you know, I, I go back and forth on it. Like, should I have branded myself more and been like, you know, this is the kind of thing I do? I think I would have gotten bored, but maybe, you know, I would have access to a more consistent and larger audience if I'd done it. I don't know. Um, but it's it's just, yeah, it's, it's a question I, I think about because, you know, not... I was always reading everything, and it was a comic book that was good enough for me. I wasn't. I don't care if it was Omaha Cat Dancer or if it was, you know, uh, the Camelot Three Thousand. I didn't care. It was a comic book I was interested, in, and I think you know not everybody approaches things the way I do. And it's funny because you know you have like a uh, Chip Zdarsky, for example, who you know he only really writes for Marvel, but he you know he draws glowing wieners over at Image, but um, the overall thing with him you know with his writing as well at marvel is he does everything you know he does talking ducks with howard the duck he does a super serious uh crime story with daredevil and you know did a uh star lord story for example just again it's one of those little things that it's so interesting to see with the writing and the creators in all these companies yeah, I think, I mean, part of it is we're freelancers, so to some degree you have to be flexible. But I, there's also value in being the person who does that one thing, as long as that one thing is always around. So if you're like that crime writer guy or if you're that horror writer guy, then you always have work. But obviously you can have the problem where, yeah, you're that Western guy, and now we don't do Westerns anymore. So it, it is, it's always it's a conundrum, I would say, as far as uh, you know, what approach to do and how to, um, you know, sustain a, a long career. And in regards to, you know, writing, like, X titles, what is your favorite thing about working on those titles? Oh, man. I mean, probably, I guess, for me, the, the X-Men stuff was always the strength was that it was weird. Um, and that, you know, you would most of the Marvel stuff and in, in, in the main of, you know, universe had a pretty consistent feeling. And then you could go read X-Men and it would just be off the wall and it would have like, you know, kind of like really disparate elements stuck together. I always remember when I, when I was a kid, like uh, the first X-Men book I ever got was like a brood story and it scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And then after that, there was like this Forge and uh, Storm story where they, they encountered these things called the Eye Killers. And it was like all this weird, you know, mysticism plus space things and it was just weird. It was always off kilter. And I think, you know, the the original sort of pitch for the X-Men stuff was, you know, the world's strangest superheroes. They were kind of the Doom Patrol of Marvel. Um, and so weird has always appealed to me that sort of anything kind of unsettling or you know, unusual, uh, you know, and it just makes it more fun to, to, to write. I think, you know, and which is why I made Shatterstar so odd, like that there's a talking dog in there and that there's, you know, like, I, I just wanted to have fun with it. So uh, I thought that that would make it feel more like the stuff I had loved so much. Uh, Tim, I'm going to go on one more question, and that's going to take off on the thing you mentioned at least a couple times. So I said, well, I have to ask something in this in this area, and that's you're being a horror fan. And uh, to me, I go to Halloween, which uh, you, did a couple, you did a couple of titles with Halloween as the main title. Was that supposed to tie in with the movie franchise, these little series? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, there are sequels sort of to... Um, the movie series. Uh, so I drew uh, one series, and I, you know, did some um, covers and stuff for the other series. 
Which, I mean, Halloween is like my favorite, you know, slasher movie. So those were really fun to do. So you're not a chopping mall guy? (sighs) Well, I love chopping mall. I have a soundtrack to chopping mall. It also is the soundtrack for uh, another, uh, which I can't remember now because my brain's fried. But it's it's the soundtrack to chopping mall and a fantasy movie. So that's how uh, Corman was very efficient. Huh. I actually never knew that. It's a great soundtrack. It's it's pretty great. Is it available on uh, streaming uh, platforms? I don't know. I got it at a convention somewhere. So, um, but it's yeah, it's it's pretty great. I'll look that up. Now, in it before we wrap this episode up, we want to ask, with what is your future pertaining to Marvel at this time? I mean, at the moment, obviously, you know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic and. Marvel has slowed down in a way that DC hasn't. I think they, I don't know what their plans as far as going forward, but the stuff that we were talking about was all put on hold. Um, and so, like, I think they're, they're doing, like, one-third the titles that they were doing. Um, so I would assume, you know, like, to work for them anytime in the near future, we'll, I'll have to wait till after they're back to full capacity because um, I don't think they're taking pitches, and they're definitely not going to do my Tiger book in the middle of this. Um, but, uh, but I mean, you know, I, I'm friends with people who work there and, um, I've done this for a long time. And when I come up with a idea, I'm totally always comfortable being like, Oh, I'm just going to call these guys up and throw this at them. And, you know, sometimes it sticks. And then I got, I have to come up with a goddamn story for Shadowstar and his, his, uh, tenants at his weird apartment. So, um, but I mean, I, you know, I've got goals for things that I feel like I have to do before I retire so i definitely need to do some more deadpool at some point and i really should probably do some more spider-man before i so can we pretend we're like uh we got this covered and like you know put a bs thing saying oh my god tim seeley announces he's covering spider-man and he's gonna be killing aunt may in a gangland style murder hey gets the clicks whatever gets the clickies all right tim big thank you for doing the show today and before we go how can people get a hold of you on social media uh, I'm on Twitter at Hack and Tim Seeley and on Instagram at Tim Seeley. Um, and I think that's mostly the only ones I use. I'm kind of off Facebook for a bit, but you can hit me anytime uh, on Twitter and uh, follow me there for updates on new stuff. Very cool. All right. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Tim Seeley. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. Obsessed with Marvel, version Tim Seeley. Thank you very much. Multiple choice, you're welcome. And if you're unfamiliar, multiple choice, out of a possible 2,500 questions, we go to... Wait, there's how many? Oh, I thought you meant 2,000 options. That's that's a lot. That's excessive. Going through that many questions here. Come on. 2,290, that is the number of the question, and it reads... Who is not a member of the loners? Jim Neidhart was not a member of the loners. Jeez. Who? Yes, that was his name. The Loners. Okay. Darkhawk, Ricochet, Dazzler, or Turbo? Who's not a member of the Loners? I think that's I think that's pretty Dazzler. easy. I'm gonna say Dazzler also. What do you think, Peter? I, I agree. I like the way Snrub thinks. Manfred Man blinded by the light, Dazzler. Letter C, and it is correct. Yay! One for one. A good start here. That was the fastest a question got answered on this show, by the way. Yeah, I think so. We didn't have to ponder and go into many tangents and and all that stuff. So, okay. Let's go for number two. Number two, which is 1,900. 
And 66. No, two is not 1,900. Two is two. Or dos in Spanish. Man, Peter, you are swinging and missing today. Did you say something, Peter? I didn't. Okay. Uh, 1966 says, who was Quan Yaozu? Quan, Q-U-A-N, and Yaozu, yay. You leave my mother out of this. <sighs> Yaozu is Y-A-O-Z-U. Who was Quan Yaozu? The August personage in Jade. The first Iron Fist, Danny, Re- Danny Rand's predecessor as Iron Fist, or Master Khan. I'm so not knowing this. Okay. I think it's B, but I'm not positive on this one. I'm not much of an Iron Fist guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is uh, Danny's uh, predecessor as well. Predecessor is Well, you said the, oh. the first Iron Fist is one answer. Danny Rand's predecessor as Iron Fist is a separate answer. That's. I'm going with that one. You're going with Danny Rand's predecessor? Yeah. Well, let's see. Okay, Ronald Reagan, well. Let's try letter C, Danny Rand's predecessor. And no, the answer <gasps> is the first Iron Fist. Thank you, Tim. There we go. Okay, Tim is two for two. The rest of us, not so much. Let's go to one more, because there could be a fourth just because. Question 1573, how was Betty Ross Banner believed to have perished? Via death. Via death, okay. <laughs> Hit by car, pushed off building, gamma radiation poisoning, or beaten to death? I'm between two answers here myself. How was Betty Ross Banner believed to have perished? Hit by car, pushed off building, gamma radiation poisoning, or beaten to death? I feel like all of these would be options if it was Bruce Banner's girlfriend, uh, <laughs> Betty Banner, published by DC Comics. Every single cover. Yeah. This is why the question is I'm take- positive on this one because I'm a big... Uh, I like Hulk, so I read uh, this one. I know where... I'm pretty sure I know roughly where it happened. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm somewhere between C and D, the gamma radiation poisoning or beaten to death. What are, you, what's your, what are you saying it is, Tim? It's C. Gamma radiation poisoning? Let's try C. This is the third time we're trying C, I believe. That is correct. Okay, yeah. we got two for three. I know I th- my Marvel shit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> As opposed to somebody else's uh, fecal matter. But anyway... <laughs> Two zero four three. That is me. Now stop it. Two zero four three. See, I try to maintain a PG rating on this podcast, Tim, and you know. I apologize. Just so, I, I just so you know. Uh, bleeped. So, but no, we're, we're, it's a podcast after all. All right, this is a lengthy one because it's got a paragraph to read, and sometimes that's what we have. Two zero four three. So, making a deal with the devil never works out as one might hope. When Johnny Blaze learned that Crash Simpson, the stunt motorcyclist who raised him, was mortally ill, he made a deal with Satan, actually the demon lord Mephisto, to prevent Simpson's death. Mephisto abided by the letter of the bargain, but then allowed Simpson to die while performing a dangerous motorcycle stunt. Then Mephisto bonded Blaze's soul to the demon Zarathos, causing Blaze to transform into the Ghost Rider, a flaming skeleton who rode a motorcycle composed of hellfire. Editor Roy Thomas, writer Gary Friedrich, and artist Mike Plug all participated in devising the original Ghost Rider story, which appeared in Marvel Spotlight number 5, 1973. Blaze was later succeeded as Ghost Rider by Dan Ketch, but more recently has resumed his Ghost Rider role. What relation to John Blaze is John Blaze to Dan Ketch? Is it first cousin, brother, second cousin, or uncle? It's B, brother. It's B, brother. 
I go with that too. I'm I'm into Ghost Rider to a certain degree. Peter, brother, 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 brother. Let her be. You better believe it, brother. <laughs>